Well, good morning and thank you for joining us. We are glad that you're here. You'll see on your seats there, there is a, um, there's a little business card. And it's a great tool for inviting people to come and join you. And I would suggest you take one of those or take a bunch of those. We have them over there on the desk or up at the Welcome Center. And um, there's a white line on there. Write your name on there. Invite somebody to come. Have them find you here on a Sunday morning to come sit with you. Tell them you'll take them out to lunch or um, just tell them that they can go out to lunch on their own afterwards. Whatever you feel like doing is fine. But we are glad that you're with us. We're excited about uh, this new series in Jonah. And if you were with us last week, uh, thank you. If you were not... Or if you've had plenty of opportunity to sleep or you weren't able to sit every day and just let that message soak in over and over and over again, let's recap a little bit about Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. A prophet was a guy who had the unlikely or unfun job, I guess, of going to people and telling them what they were doing wrong and saying, if you don't get yourself straight, God's going to punish you for it. So in that process, Jonah would have liked to have done what most prophets got to do, and that is go to the Israelites or the Hebrews. Instead, he got chosen to go to a group of people that were mean, evil, idol worshipers that basically didn't like the Hebrews, which Jonah was one of. And he was sent to go to a place called Nineveh. Nineveh was in Assyria, and if we could throw the map up here, if you were here last week, you'll remember this. But Nineveh was where he was supposed to go. He got the word of the Lord from, uh, from Joppa, or from the Lord, he was in Joppa, and he was supposed to go 500 miles to Nineveh. Instead, he decided he was going to say, no, God, I'm not going to do that because I don't like these people. I don't want anything really to do with them, so I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go about 2,500 miles the other way, or in that day and time, was literally the other end of the world compared to where God wanted him to go. He wanted to go the complete opposite direction. And so what he decided to do is he went down to Joppa, And he found a boat going the opposite direction from what God wanted him to do. And for some reason, there always seems to be a boat going in the opposite direction of what God has called us to do. We can either choose to go that way, or we can choose to do what God has told us to do. He chose to go that way. In the process of that, God kind of says, hey, Jonah, you really think you can run from me? I'm God. So God throws this huge storm down. This huge storm starts rocking the boat. Well, the whole time, Jonah had gotten on this boat, and he went to sleep. The whole time this huge storm's going, all the sailors that are on top of the deck are freaking out. They're praying to whatever God that will listen. And they're saying, God, whatever one, somebody stop this storm. They're throwing their cargo overboard. It's costing them. They're getting all upset. They're getting all worried about what's going on. And Jonah's still down below. So what happens is the, the, the uh, captain goes down to Jonah and starts yelling at him. How can you sleep at a time like this? You need to get up and you need to pray to your God and tell him to stop this storm. Because this is just crazy madness. The thing I want to point out today, as we get into chapter 2, chapter 2 is really a prayer. It's a prayer from Jonah all about him repenting to God. When the sailor or when the captain comes to him and says, you need to pray to your God, you realize an entire chapter of the book of Jonah is written out to one prayer. There's not one mention that he actually prayed. There's not one mention that he actually prayed right here. Now, maybe he did. Maybe he did something, I don't know what, but they ended up casting lots. But it's never recorded that he actually prays, which is an interesting thought to me, that he writes out this huge, long prayer where he's in in the belly of a whale, but, but not so much when it's actually called to do when somebody else asked him to do it it was kind of a weird thing that it made me think a little bit but as i'm looking at that and i see that they start casting lots it comes up that it's jonah 
Jonah says, hey, it's me. I'm a Hebrew. Uh, the Lord is my God. I'm running from him. I've already told you guys about that. You guys need to throw me overboard. They say, we're not going to throw you overboard. That's insane. We're going to try and row harder. We're going to try and go the other way. So they get in and they start rowing. And they start rowing and they start rowing. Well, guess what? That doesn't work. So they stop. They say, all right, God, we're sorry. Don't let this man be on us for throwing him overboard. And they throw him overboard. The storm stops. The sailors rejoice. They're partying. Jonah's out there floating. We're not sure how long he's floating for. And, you know, I told you last week right there, this huge fish comes up because those guys are like, hey, maybe we should throw a life vest out to him and let him come back in. Now the storm's over and the big fish comes up and eats him. You know, boom, like that. And they say, never mind, we won't do that. But as I read the prayer here in chapter 2, I'm wondering, I'm wondering a little bit if he started sinking. And he started sinking and he started losing consciousness and maybe the fish ate him way underneath the water. I, I don't know. It, it's kind of one of those things. As you read it, maybe you'll see the same kind of thing. But as we're there, you have to think about something. We're going to pick it up today that Jonah is in the belly of a fish. Okay? He's in the belly of a fish. Three days and three nights. He's sitting in there. If you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah chapter 2, if you don't know where it's at exactly, this is the book of the, uh, of the Old Testament or the, a list of the Old Testament books. And Matthew falls right here. So if you hit Matthew first, go back and, uh, and you'll be able to find it real quick. It's probably easier than flipping each book through from Genesis. But as you are looking at that, and as we look at Jonah chapter 2, we have to pick it up and we're thinking to ourselves, okay, he's in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Some things started coming to me, because I left you there last week that he was in the belly of a fish, and I said, you guys can sit in the belly of the fish for, for the week and kind of experience the smells and all the things that he's experiencing. Anybody in here claustrophobic? Okay. I don't think when Jonah was inside the belly of this fish that he was sitting on a lawn chair with his feet kicked up, waiting to be thrown up. I, I think that it was probably tight, and it was constricting. And on top of that, my guess is, is he was being digested. I know that sounds gross and that's kind of one of those things that you don't tell in the little kids' Sunday school class when you're talking about Jonah. But he was probably going through the process of digestion. Alive. In the dark. Anybody here just really like claustrophobic, real tight, dark spaces? Yeah, you got to think about Jonah here. I mean, yeah, you guys, you're from the submarine, right? So yeah, you like that. But anybody else in the room, uh, that is not something that is, is natural. It's not like when you go down to, to go spelunking in a cave, you're like, I just hope I get stuck and wedged in that I can't see and my light goes out. That's what I'm hoping for. That's not the immediate plan that we have. There's this fear that tends to come over each and every one of us. The thing is, is when you are in that place, when you are stuck and you cannot see anything else around you, the first thing we cry out to is, God, God, please help me. I will do anything you ask me to do if you can get me out of here. Anybody in here ever had a CAT scan, MRI, one of those ones you got to lay in the tube for a while? I've had a handful of those in my life. And uh, for 45 minutes, lay still. They put your arms in these straps so they don't touch the side and just wah, 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 wah. And that's the noise you hear. It just goes over and over and just keeps moving you back and forth and back and forth. For 45 minutes, you're laying there like, please, just make this stop. I'm just ready for this to be done. I, I'm, I don't, I want to move. I got an itch on my nose. And that's the time they come up. As soon as they lock your arms and you're like, oh, no. Oh, you know, and all these things are going through your mind for 45 minutes. Think about it for just a second that you're three days and three nights. Three days and three nights 
of stuck like that. Now the funny thing is we look at Jonah chapter 2 and there is 10 verses in Jonah chapter 2. I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it this week, but only 10 verses. 10 verses of what they call the Psalm of Jonah. And he really lays out this amazingly beautiful prayer. But you have to think for just a second, if you're stuck for 45 minutes in an elevator, elevator shuts down, the lights go off, you're in there and you're praying to God for 45 minutes, it's going to be longer than 10 verses. If he's in there for three days and three nights, how much was he praying? What was he saying? How was he out there repenting to God? Because really what we see happen is, you think when the fish eats him, that was good. Actually, really what you would think is as soon as he hit the water, that would be good enough. That would be punishment enough. Now you know, you've learned your lesson. Don't run from me. Swim to shore. We're going to be all good. But yet, Three days and three nights in a fish's belly of nothing but repentance. God, I am so sorry. God, I am so sorry. God, I am so sorry. We've probably all said it a time or two, maybe even before we got caught doing something. Maybe even before you had to explain to your significant other that you did something wrong. Maybe before you cheated on that, or, or before you had to explain how you cheated on that test. Maybe it was before. We'll, we'll lay it out there, yet... There's still consequences that come along. There's still consequences that come along with us. And we see here, as we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2, something that Jonah does. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah, and I like to add the word finally here, finally prayed to the Lord as God. Finally prayed. He finally did because God had finally gotten his attention. There might be somebody in here right now today who might be thinking, hey, this whole Jonah thing, I just didn't quite grasp it. I didn't quite believe it. I even had some of you send me some emails this week saying, hey, here's some pictures of fish that are big enough to eat people. So it is possible. It is possible this is a real story. I said last week, maybe you think it's a myth. Well, at least if you think it's a myth, it's a myth with a message. And that's a, it's a message for us to grasp, grasp onto and hold onto and learn from. But it really, I believe it truly did happen. And he was stuck inside of a fish for three days and three nights. And he's laying there, squished, being worked through the intestinal process. I don't know. Some gross things are moving around him. It says in here it's got seaweed wrapped around his head. I mean, we don't know what's going on. The smell in there has got to be just intense. And he's thinking, God, I am so sorry. You have got my attention. Look what he says here in verse 2. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And what happened? Say it louder. He answered me. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. I want you to think about that for just a second. This is the God of the universe. This is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the, the person not person, the God who spoke life into each of us, who created the earth and everything that is a part of it, everything, all the universe, everything that's all the way around, and Jonah cries out to him, and what does that God who is over everything do? He answered him. He answered him. I think sometimes we miss the fact that when we pray, that when we call on God and we lift up 
our prayers to Him, whether it be in our distress or even in our good times. And the funny thing is, it seems to be more in our distress than in our good times. But when we call out to Him, He will answer us. The God of the universe, the creator of all, cares enough about you and me. Insignificant little you, me. There's seven billion other people on this planet with us. But He cares enough about us to answer us. You know, the thing is, is it really does amaze me that when things get bad is when we call on God. A lot of times, people will actually say, oh, man, we have run out of every option. All we have left to do now is what? Pray. No, 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 no. See, I don't think we understand. It's not about the last thing. It should be the first thing. But we see it even here with Jonah and in his life. It's when things get really bad, when he is going to through the digestion process of a fish with no hope whatsoever. He can't do anything. It's not like there's a a blowhole light that's coming in and he's like able to, you know, I'm just going to write this down real fast and I'm going to light a match and this fish is going to... He has no hope of doing anything. He is down and out. He is dead. He is going to die inside of that fish. He cannot get out. He's at a very least that he could possibly be and it amazes me that in in all of our i mean some of you probably been christians since the day you were born you think you know you were born in the nursery at a church some of you in here that way yet we understand the power of god you've gone through every sunday school class you know this lesson better than i do and yet we fail to remember who god is and that god wants us to come to him Not this last resort thing. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Maybe you have a different version that says, come boldly before the throne of God. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can go boldly with confidence in our time of need. We can call on God and he will answer us. Yet we always wait for whatever reason, until the last minute. We always say, I'm going to try and figure this out on my own, God, and then I'm going to call on you, maybe. And that's only if I get really stuck and I have no other way out. Call on God, and he'll answer you. Call on God, and he'll answer you. Now, Jonah says here, he says, you know, in my distress, in my distress is when I called out on God. Um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'm not a Greek scholar, I don't get into all that stuff, but I get to read commentaries and and those guys do all the work for you. And I was reading about the way that Jonah wrote this book. Wrote this simple four chapter book about the, the ordeal that he went through. And he wrote it in the book of Hebrew. And Hebrew is a very picturesque language, and the words mean so much more than what we we give them credit for. So when it says the word distress, the word that he actually uses talks about the pain and the distress and the the whole, all on, everything that goes with childbirth. And for ladies in here who have experienced that, they, they say that is as close to death as a woman gets. Is during child because of the stress and the distress that is put on the body and the baby as is being born, same thing. And he's using this word saying, in my distress, in my pain, in my lowest, in my everything that I've got going on here, I am stuck inside of a fish and I am going through pain and like nobody's business, like I am so being worked over basically. 
And he's talking about it here. And we see when he says it, in my distress, he calls out to God. The next thing he says in the, in the verse is he says, From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. From the deep in the realm of the dead. Now, once again, you go back to these, these Hebrew words that he's using. And he uses the word called shale. Okay? Shale. And it's spelled S-H-E-O-L. It's not sheol. It's shale. And when shale is, it could mean the grave. It could mean in the depths of the dead. Or if you have a King James Version Bible, which some of you may have in here. If you really look at the King James Version, it says hell. He cried out from the pits of hell. And some people, when you read this, and I've read different commentaries that say this might even be possible, when he was writing this was actually after all of the events had taken place. But what they say is, is that he may have been dead inside of this fish. He may have literally, his soul may have gone to hell. And as he writes this out and the picture of it all and being so far because of his distress and the pain that he has, he is in hell. Away from God. What's the furthest you can possibly be from God? That's in hell. That is complete and total absence of God. That is the description of hell. Everything away. And they say maybe he was brought back to life because you know Jesus uses the example in in his talking, he talks about Jonah and Jonah's three days and being buried and, 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 and basically rising again, kind of to, to foreshadow what's going to take place. And we see that take place. We don't know. And obviously, it could be all for speculation. He could have been in there. But let as we look, as we think about that, I want you to think about when you've run from God. And maybe right now, that's where you're at. Maybe you are running from God. Maybe this is, this is a description of you. And right now, because of your running, you are so far from God, you feel like literally that you are going through a personal shale, a personal hell. That, oh God, where are you? Where are you? My marriage is falling apart so badly. Where are you? I'm calling out to you now. We didn't really base our marriage on you and we, we were going to get back when we had kids or we were going to do this when we did it. But right now, everything is falling apart. Where are you? Or maybe it's in your regular just daily relationships. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's in just who you're spending time with. I don't know what it is. But maybe that's where you're at because you've lived your life on your own for so long and now you're saying, God, I am stuck in hell. My own personal one here. God, where are you? Because we've been running, we've been running, we've been running. And now it says, from the deep of the realm of the dead, from the deep of shale, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. The thing is, is that when we read that last little bit, that he listened to his cry. Do we deserve anything that God gives us, especially when we're running from Him? Especially when God says, hey, I want you to do this, and you say, God, you know what? No. No, no, no. It wasn't just a simple no. It was a no, and I'm going 2,500 miles the other way, as a matter of fact. I'm going to the other end of the earth because I don't want to listen to what you have to say. And yet God still said, you know what? I'm going to listen to your cry. Some of you in here that are struggling with something, there's something going on in your life, whatever it might be, wherever you might be at, as far as you are from God, God will still listen. 
to your cry. Now, if you look at verse 1 and 2 together, you see this whole idea of being in this distress, being in this pain, being in this literal rebirthing process. And he's in hell at the same time. And this personal hell of his own. It kind of gives us a description of where a lot of us have been in our lives. We're so far from God, and yet God is putting us through each step to be born again. To be brought back to where he wants us to be. And I'll tell you, some people are like, wait a second, why did God make Jonah go through all of that? I mean, he, he had to have repented when they threw him overboard, when he was laying there. Why did he make him stand there for three days and three nights? What is that all about? I mean, obviously, when he's floating out there in the middle of the water, he had to have gotten a clue that God was speaking to him. He had to have gotten a clue. He should have said, you know what, God, I was wrong. I shouldn't have run. I'll, I will swim back to the shore. I'll do whatever it takes to do that. Yet God still allowed this fish to swallow him and him be stuck inside this dark, stinky fish for three days and three nights. You think that Jonah was laying there going, what in the world? What do I have to do to prove to you that that I've got it? How many of you guys have kids that you've had to teach about consequences? That all of our choices have consequences. Whether it's a good choice or a bad choice, our choices have consequences. I think that God was showing him and us there are things that we learn through our consequences. Just because we repent doesn't mean we're not going to have a consequence. Just because if a guy has an affair on his wife and he says, I am so sorry, there's, not, there's still going to be consequences that come alongside of that. It doesn't matter what it might be. There's going to be consequences that come in. Sometimes those consequences come quickly. Sometimes they come in phases. Sometimes they come in phases. Anybody here get spanked by the belt? I did, okay? It's all right. It's all right. My parents weren't child abusers. They just letting me know that rebellion equals pain. That's what they were letting me know. It's a lesson I still know today. doesn't mean I don't do it, but it does mean that I learned my lesson. And in the process of learning that lesson, I'll never forget, there was a sound. There was a sound that would, when I was in trouble, there was a snapping. Yes, a whoosh. That was the second sound. The first one was the as he took it out, and it kind of just all slapped the belt loops as it went out. And you're like, oh, wait, 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 hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Dad, I am really, really sorry. I, I promise I won't do it ever again. You know, you start negotiating. And generally, your end negotiation is this. Please don't spank me. And, of course, Dad always said kind of the same thing. Mom said, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. No, it's not. I'm a parent now. I say it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It it still hurt a whole lot more when I was receiving it rather than giving it. And we look at that and we say, God, why do we have to do it? Well, it's the same thing. He's teaching a lesson here. There are phases. Look at the phases as you work through it all. Phase one, God sent a storm after after Jonah had said no. No, I'm not going to do it. So God sends a storm. It doesn't work. Phase two, God sends a captain. Captain comes down and says, you need to get up on deck and you need to pray to your God and make this storm stop. That was phase two. What did he do? Doesn't really show that he prayed. Maybe he threw out like a quick little generic something or other. You know, God is great. God is good. Let him think of for our food. You know, something like that. I don't know. But he just, something simple. And then we see phase three, the sailors have mercy on him and don't throw him overboard. That was, a, that was a part of the phase. And then phase four, where's phase four at? When they do throw him overboard, God sends a fish. 
wait a second, God sends a fish? How's that part of the phase? How's that, how's that something that works out good for it? Well, the fish in phase five gets its tummy ache and he throws them up. And we're going to see that here in just a second. But as we work through that, I want to challenge you that if you're going through something with God right now and you're wondering where God's at or how God is bringing you through this trial in your life and you're experiencing all these hurts and all these pains and I don't know what it is, but you're just waiting on God to answer. You're waiting on God to do something. I want you to take a look back for just a second and say, oh, you know what? Now I see it. I see the phases. Because maybe he's got you in a 10-phase process right now. And if you're in that 10-phase process, maybe you're only into phase four. And you've got six more to go. And you're starting to learn, and as you're starting to look, and you're starting to feel these things out, you look back and you say, you know what, God? Yeah, I, I actually see it. I see it now. I see how you're teaching me, because I see phase one, and I see phase two, and I see phase three. And now I understand that I'm in phase four, and i got some time still to go. Pray for patience. And pray that you learn what you need to learn. God puts us through so many different things in our phases. He leads us. He teaches us. He redirects us. He guides us. He heals us. He corrects us. And He can fix us. Each of these phases take us through steps. So Jonah's in a fish. God's got his attention. And verse 3 is where we're going to pick it up from. He says this. He's crying out to God. He says, you. He's talking to God. He's not talking to the sailors. He's not blaming the sailors. He's not blaming anybody but himself and his reaction and his interaction with God. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. See, that right there is kind of where you get that thinking, well, maybe he is sinking and not actually inside the fish as he sees the roots of the mountain, you know, what you can see underneath and he's sinking down to the point where it says the earth has barred me in as if he is dead and he is now in literal hell, not just a, a, a mental, his own personal. As we look at that and we see it, but as he is crying out, there's something he is screaming very loud and clear. And it's, I think, something that we've all screamed out at some point in time. There is no physical hope for me. I cannot do anything. I am unable to do anything here. Anybody ever gone body surfing or surfing or any of those kind of things before? The salt water and I, we don't get along well. But I've always tried to do that, the, the boogie board. And, and you get on and you're out there and you're like, yeah, and you're having a great time and you catch a wave and then you kind of go under. And you lose it and you get in that, st- I, I think it's undertow and you start spinning and you're not sure which way's up. And all you're praying is, is I want to get a breath to get out of this swirling, girling, something or other of a mess, and I just want to get, I'm going to die. And you start, and that's all within three seconds. But you get that panic that's inside of you, and you start worrying about it, and then you go like, I'm not doing that again. And then you go back out, and it happens again, and you're just like, and then you hit the sand at the wrong angle, and your neck hurts. For the, it just, that's what I picture happened with Jonah here. Because he's in this sinking process. He doesn't know what's going on. All he sees is the end of his life. And he's crying out to God. He says, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But look what it says next. Excuse me for just a second. <coughs> it says, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up 
from the pit. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. I couldn't do anything. I was dead. I was sinking further and further away from you. But you, O Lord, brought my life up from the pit. I couldn't do it, but Lord, you could. And you did. And there's this interaction that takes place here. The shift of seeing things start going back up. Because if you read chapter 1, mark how many times he says he went down. He went down. He was down in the belly of the, of the boat sleeping. He went down to Joppa. He went down. He went down. And now we see a shift taking place that he's going up. That God is lifting him up. And we see this shift and we see everything taking place here. And I'm telling you, there's some things in our lives that we need to understand the but God moments. And I think sometimes we miss them outside of the actual time that it happens. We say, God, and I'm going to refer back to the marriage thing just because it's been heavy on my heart the last couple of days uh, for some people's marriages. God, my marriage was a mess. But you, oh Lord, lifted it up. God, my life was a mess. I'm addicted to all kinds of junk. But you, oh God, you lifted me up. I couldn't get out of it on my own. I tried and I tried and I tried and I would fail and I would fail and I would fail. But you, oh God, would lift me up. I don't know where you're at and I don't know how your butt gods are working out. But please remember that all things are possible with God. And when Jonah was at the very point of death, He was being digested by a fish. He was stuck in there for three days and three nights and all hope was gone. He was crying out to God and it didn't seem like God might have even been answering. I don't know if he heard a voice in there or not, but it felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And then God answered its cry. When everything else, but God, you lifted me up out of the pit. He goes on in verse 7 to say this, when my life was ebbing away, I remember you. Lord, and my prayer rose up to you in your holy temple. I think there's times that we forget God. We have a tendency in our lives, when things are good, to just live life as if he's not there. As if we've got it all under control. As if there's nothing that is going to stop us. That we are the king of our own lives. And then when things go horribly wrong because we've left God and we've said, yeah, God, I know you under, you've said what to do. I've grown up in church. I know all the rules. I know everything I'm supposed to do. But God, I don't really want to do that. Now God's on the other side saying, but God can lift us up out of that mess that we've created ourselves. Is there going to be consequences? Yes. But God can lift us up and God can be there for us. And then when we do remember God, when Jonah remembers God, I think something happens here. He he switches his tone and he starts going into his prophetic self again. And he says, guess what? If you have been going the wrong way, if you have been running and chasing after things, don't do what I do. Don't do what I did. And look what it says in verse 8. He says, because those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Some of your versions may be, if you're not in the NIV, may say, turn away from God's grace. 
God keeps reaching out, and when we're chasing after the things that aren't Him, He's over here, and we're going this way, saying, I just want to have success in my life. I just want to have more money. I just want to have more things. I just want to have more of this. I want to go after that girl or that guy because I know they're not a Christian, but I, I swear I'll bring them to church at least once. You know, there's all this stuff that goes this way, and God's over here saying, I'm trying to reach out my grace to you, but you got your back to me. You cannot accept it if you're going like this. You just, you're not even looking back. You're just going after these things. And he says, when you are chasing the worthless idols, you turn away from God's love. My question for you is this, is what's your idol? I know, I know what mine are. I'm taking a look here at, at Jonah and I can see two right away. One was prejudice. That's one of the reasons why he turned away to begin with. He didn't like those people. He didn't want to go talk to those people. He didn't want anything to do with them. The second one was the idol of self. God, I know better than you do. My guess is more and more Christians today deal with the idol of self than anything else. We have this casual thing that we talked about, that, that idea of Christianity. That God will step in when I need him, but everything else is all about me. That's not what God has saved us for. He didn't save us to give us a get out of hell free card. He, he saved us to have a relationship with him and to grow in that relationship with him. It would be like if you got married and you decided, you know what, I'm glad we're here and I have that tax benefit of having marriage written on my tax license and everything that goes with that, but I'm going to go chase other women or men the whole time. It doesn't work that way, but that's, that's what we do with God. We say, God, I'm here, and I'm going to get the benefits of that, but everything else I'm going to go for over here, even though you say, hey, follow me or follow that, but you can't have both. You can't serve two masters. He says that very clearly, but we do it. Verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from what? The Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. He came to this realization. He's telling us that salvation, I can't do anything else. Remember, he is still in the fish at this point in time. I can't do anything else. I am all but dead. The only way, the only thing that can save me is God himself. There's a point that everybody reaches in their life when they realize they cannot save themselves. Good works are not going to do it. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much money we give to the church, no matter how any of those things, it doesn't matter unless you have a relationship with God because He has saved you. Those are all things we do in response, not to gain it. We do those things in response to His love because He has saved us and He has reached for us. And I love when it says, what I have vowed, I will make good. But how many times have we ever said that to God before? God, if you just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday for the next year. We do that. We make bargaining chips with God. God, just get me out of here. Just help me in this situation. Just, I made a mistake. Save me from it so I don't get caught. We do that. I've done that. But Jonah says, I'm going to make it good. What I have vowed, I will make good. And then he says, salvation comes from the Lord. And I think that's something we have to make sure we don't miss. Because very clearly, very clearly in the New Testament it says, for it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's by God's grace that we've been saved. Not of our own works. We could not weasel out of the death grip that we are in 
And that's where Jonah is at. And I think part of the reason why he goes through each phase that he goes through is so we can learn and so we can see exactly where we're at in our lives with and without God. And I think God knew that. He knows everything. He knows it all. He has a big plan for everything. And sometimes I think we miss the big plan for everything. But when we look right at it, we look it right in the eyes and we say, yep, I'm Jonah. I'm just not stuck in a fish. I'm just stuck in sin. I'm just stuck in something that is killing me and is dragging me further and further and further away. And there's nothing I can do to get out of it, but only God can get me out of this. And then in verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto the land. It's kind of a gross picture. I'm just going to be honest with you. Vomit's not something I enjoy cleaning up people's stuff, you know. But to think it'd be a part of it to come flying out of a fish. Landing on the beach. Sand's already bad, but having vomit all over you to make that sand stick to you. I mean, just giving you a visual picture of what we're looking at here. And he's laying there and he's going, Ugh first and kind of wiping the goo that probably is built up in the corners of his eyes and he says all right god i i told you i told you i'd make good what i vowed to do and we're going to see next week as we wrap up this series what jonah does but the funny thing is if you haven't read chapters three and four of jonah yet real short chapters challenge you to do that this week as we see the decisions that he makes he kind of has a little backslide. He has a little issue that takes place. So next week, we're going to get into that. I challenge you to be back with us for our final thing as we wrap that up, as we wrap up the book of Jonah. But before we get to next week, let's just deal with what, what maybe God's speaking to you in your heart today. Because my guess is, my guess is something has possibly popped into your mind. Something is coming up and welling up in your heart, and Satan isn't the one that's putting it there. It's God. He's saying, listen, you've run from me for too long. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. And it might just be a small little area that nobody else knows about. It's a little secret sin that nobody really even cares too much about. But you do. And you know it. And God cares about it. And then you have on the flip side, you have those big things. And you're running from God. And he's saying, listen, just call out to me. And I will answer your prayer. I will help you. I, I'm not promising you there's not going to be any consequences. But call out and get back in the right path with me. I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what God's doing for you. You know, it's funny. I was listening. Uh, I got stuck in fair traffic yesterday for an hour uh, trying to get into the fair. And uh, luckily I had podcasts with me, so I started listening to one, and, and I was listening to one, and it was talking about the idea of change and making a change in our lives. And everybody's great with the idea of making something better. Nobody says, oh, no, I don't really want to do anything better. If they do, they're probably still listening to cassettes. But that isn't, that isn't the, the thing that we need to focus on about wanting to make it better. It's actually doing something about it. It's actually making the change. That's the hard part about change. The idea of change isn't the problem. It's actually doing something about it. So my challenge to you today is this. You may be challenged to change. You may have heard God say to you, yeah, this is an area of my life I actually need to change. But guess what? If you don't do anything about it, it doesn't matter. You're still disobeying. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. My challenge to you today is if God is speaking to you, to move. To move to your knees, to get 
on your face before God and cry out to him. You need my help in that. It's between you and God. But if you want my help, I'm going to step back there and I would love, love, love to pray with you. 